0: Well, it's good to be alive, isn't it? (laughs) So good to see all of you. It's been uh, too long a time. Uh, We are uh, recovered completely. That happened well over a week ago. Uh, We have not gotten our strength back. I uh, got down below my wedding weight, uh, which has been a goal of mine for about 35 years. (laughs) I would not recommend the uh, process by which that happened and uh, uh, Renee, I think, is at her junior high weight. <laughs> it was a rough couple of weeks for us, and the past week has been uh, challenging as well. Coming back from COVID, there's a certain level of recovery that has to happen where you gain back strength. I was surprised, even though I lost over 15 pounds, I, uh, none of it left my gut. <laughs> I shouldn't say none, I am down a couple notches, but. It mostly left my legs and my arms and shoulders, so I'm gonna to have to spend some time just getting back to normal strength again. Uh, it was uh, The first two weeks of it were tough. Painful fevers, uh, congestion, just listlessness. The, the effect on the brain, I think, was the, the most uh, difficult thing for me. I could not think straight. I couldn't talk uh, lucidly. I couldn't return calls uh, or even emails. I remember sitting, I I did give you a couple updates early on, but a paragraph took me almost four or five hours to put together because I couldn't see, I couldn't understand what I was writing, how to connect it. I'd fall asleep in the process. It was just a very uh, difficult thing. Has has anyone had COVID here? Anyone been through it? Uh, We're we're not sure if it was the original strain. We're pretty sure, based upon what we went through, that it was what they call the Delta variant, which is now... Spreading across the country, so like I said this morning, just be very careful. I don't know what the medical uh, prognosis is as to whether, if you've had it, are you uh, incapable of getting it? I've heard that those who've had the original are are also getting the Delta variant. I've also heard those who've been vaccinated, fully vaccinated, are also getting the Delta variant. So just be cautious and careful. I can't, I can't give you any medical advice, but I can just see, you know. Be as careful as you can be, and let's all continue to pray that God protects us and gives us wisdom individually and collectively in knowing how to get through this. It's real, but it's it, whether it's uh, contrived or not is the is the real issue in question I think most people are having. Just be very, very careful with it. It's a very serious thing. Uh, I was the worst in my house because I'm the oldest one there, so. I think I was either the first or second to get it at Pinecrest as well, so. We don't know how it got there, but it's gone, it's behind us, and we're looking forward to moving forward. Uh, also, I just wanted to, I don't want to get into any in, additional announcements, just that we would all begin praying about uh, what's happening with this variant. It seems as though the government, businesses, airlines and others may be moving to a lockdown uh, stage, either the middle of this month or into next, which would significantly affect our ability to keep the feast. So. Just um, on our knees, let's just ask God to please keep those doors open for us. And again, though, if we have to face something like that, that he would give us the ability to celebrate his fall Holy Days are so important uh, for us. Well, it's been uh, a number of weeks since we've uh, done this, but you may remember that we've been on a 15-part sermon series on the mysteries of God. Anybody remember that? Good. (laughs) It's been a while since we touched the last one, and I, I apologize for that. But I thought we would go on to the next one here. In fact, the next three, the final three, uh, and this even though this is the thirteenth in the sermon, there are fourteen. Our sermon series there are fourteen of these uh, mysteries that we've been covering. The last three are all found in the book of Revelation. So we're going to be spending a lot of time there over the next three sermons on this subject. Uh, the book of Revelation is. A very commonly understood to be one of the most cryptic and mystifying books in all the Bible. There have been uh, countless misguided and erroneous efforts to explain its very detailed symbolism, uh, but each only seems to dig a new rabbit hole to wander down, uh, further adding to the confusion. When we understand the tenor and the nature of the book itself, and we recognize that it was meant to reveal, not to hide, or to conceal, that it was designed to reveal. We 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 should have a much different perspective on how we read this. Most all miss that this book was meant to reveal and not hide because they ignore whose revelation this is and for whom it was intended. Let's look look at uh, Revelation chapter 1 and read verse 1 first. The revelation... Of Jesus Christ, again, nothing cryptic, nothing hidden, he reveals. And it's Jesus Christ that's doing the revelation, which God gave him to show his servants. So what Jesus Christ is revealing, God gave him to reveal relative to the plan. And consider the timing here, 90s AD. This whole book is designed to show us what's going to unfold after this. Now we're looking at it the perspective from near the end of it looking back and seeing patterns that we should have seen developing over the past 2,000 years. But this is continuing on today and is pervasive around us. We'll recognize it and understand it, not by, not by accusing people or governments or other things, but by looking at the patterns that he's revealing. Which God gave to him to show his servants. So the, this revelation is from God given to Jesus Christ to show his servants... Things which must shortly take place, or that could be translated, are about to begin. Which makes much more sense when we recognize the book and what it does. Laying out these patterns of things that he wants his servants to understand and see what's going on around them. Everything from uh, the four horsemen to all the patterns that lead to the the various uh, trumpets, the vials, and plagues, and so on. And, but also here, especially in the first few chapters, he's addressing the church. He's addressing the church, and he sent and signified it by his angel or his messenger to his servant John. Okay, consider these things. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Keep this in mind, which God gave to him to show his servants. Again, it's a revelation. We're supposed to. His servants are supposed to understand these things. And then lastly, he sent, the word sent here, by the way, is, is translated from the Greek word apostolo, which is a reference to the apostles or one sent. That's what that means. And, it, and he signified it. The word means to declare or to be made known. Again, it's a revelation by his messenger to his servant, John. And again, it's about things which must shortly take place or are about to begin. So as we read forward the entirety of the book, we should be looking for patterns. Not so that we can say, okay, this is the end of this era and this is the beginning of the next. Or that person there, he's the beast. Or this government here is, no, 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 no. no. Every time we do something that, like that, we get locked into something that fails. And we should see that what we should recognize is the patterns. We should be looking at patterns and seeing, okay, this is what Christ described for us to be aware of. And this is what he warned us about is coming and how to respond to it. We should be seeing all of this book from that perspective. Um, Many do not understand that the book reveals sources and patterns of spiritual influences. That's what this is all about. And every try, time we try to assign physical uh, uh, periphery to those, those spiritual influences, we get off track. Our minds are the ones that need to be changed. We need, be, need to be looking at things around us as for their spiritual basis and their influence on us so that we can guide that, manage that. Now, these are all supposed to unfold from this point to the completion of God's plan from, for humanity. That's what the book is about. Now, only Christ can reveal these influences and equip one to deal with them. I've seen so many commentaries that just overlook that. And don't go back into Christ's previous teachings, his whole approach, especially with respect to his church and how he dealt with human governments. They just don't, they don't consider it from that perspective. Uh, and these things are not subject to private interpretation, but if you go through so many commentaries and people that have looked into these things and borne their own uh, interpretation, Who recognize that that's what most people do, which is why they get off and off track. Uh, In Revelation 1, verse 2, let's read that verse. Who bore, this is reference to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God. So as John is revealing these things to us that Christ revealed to him, that God revealed to Christ, we should be recognizing that what he did to do this is point to the word of God. This is how these things are understood. And to the testimony of Jesus Christ. We look and see what he said to understand what is being revealed here. To all things that he saw, small h, which is John. The apostle John had seen these things. He could attribute what he was seeing to what Christ had taught him. And we need to look at it from his perspective. Uh, verse 3 here blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near this is extremely close to what uh christ uh, through his messenger to one of his churches number six philadelphia that is extremely close to what he tells them and it's a basis for their endurance Uh, This book, again, is only intended for those God chooses to reveal it. It's not for everyone. It's for God's servants. And as we read uh, Isaiah 66 in verse 2 and see what those servants are like, they are contrite of heart, poor in spirit. They tremble at God's word. He knows that when he teaches them, they will receive it and and use that uh, information to change. Again, it's only intended for those God directs it to. The contrite will not restrict the meaning of Christ's revelation to the narrow view of their moment in time. I've seen this so often. Well, if you take the snapshot of where we're at right now, then the beast is this country. Okay, you could find probably five or six different statements in that, commentaries and perspectives that go back a couple hundred years, maybe even back to 1000 A.D., that that show that their perspective was completely off because they're looking at it from their personal perspective, their moment in time. Christ is not uh, delivering this to John in this manner. He's talking again about patterns and sources, spiritual influences that he wants his people to be aware of. He wants his servants to be aware of the pervasive but hidden spiritual influences that are about to unfold from this point forward. Uh, And he wants us, even from this point in time, to look back and see those patterns and see them just happening uh, so strongly around us today in all the institutions of men, from government to uh, false religions to academia to business. We should see these patterns. It should be clear to us. Um, And we should recognize that they will negatively influence many generations that are unaware to their own destruction. Again, blessed is he who reads those who hear the words of the prophecy, this specific prophecy, and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Now, what John does here in verse four, as he's instructed to do, he begins by addressing the church of God that Jesus heads. In Revelation one and verse four, he says, he writes this, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Uh, We recognize this on a number of levels. But we also recognize that because this book was preserved for 2,000 years, there's something in the nature, the spiritual nature of those churches that applies across all 2,000 plus years since that time. Uh, So we're looking, he's specifically addressing seven churches in Asia Minor, and he's also talking about the spiritual influences that they were going through. For what purpose? Certainly we understand it to be talking about eras where some of those influences will be stronger and more influential in certain areas over time. But the spiritual influences are the key here. Even though one may be dominant at a given time in any era, they are prevalent within the churches at all times every at the end of every one of the addresses that christ makes in chapters chapters two and three he says let everybody listen to what the spirit says to the churches this is for all of us it's not just for a specific uh spiritual influence we may be going through and frankly brethren we may be going through all seven or may have to if we're not aware of what's going on and we're not aware of what's influencing us to do this these, these seven churches in Asia Minor were being so influenced. He says, grace to you, to those seven churches, and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. So we're talking, there's seven spirits before his throne, and the number seven will be used over and over here to describe uh, what he's trying to uh, Uh, convey to the churches and and the members and the servants in those churches the number seven is often used in scripture to symbolize completeness Uh, nothing left out all bases covered I'll just give you this reference to Zechariah 3 Zechariah 3 verses 8 and 9 Jesus Christ himself is described as the stone that has seven eyes he sees all things he sees completely he understands completely and you would think that if his bride Is going to serve him at his side at his return she would need to have some of that vision these things could be leading to us understanding and developing that vision a complete description of christ's vision uh, he wants his bride to have in in verse 12 of revelation 1 verses 12 and 13 let's read this john said then i turned to see the voice that spoke with me and having turned i saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet uh, and girded about the chest with a golden band. So now we've got this completeness, completeness number again of the seven golden lampstands with Christ in their midst. And then seven stars that are in Christ's right hand, signifying he has authority over those stars and those lights. In, in Revelation 1 and verse 20 is the verse we need to focus on here from the standpoint of the context of this message about mysteries. Uh, Revelation twenty uh, 1 and verse 20. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, it's Christ speaking, and the seven golden lampstands. So this is a combined mystery of the stars and the lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches or the messengers To the seven churches which Christ holds in his right hand, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Period. Boom. Mystery solved. Right? The stars are the messengers to those churches, and the lampstands themselves are those churches in whose midst Christ works, knows, interacts, and so on. Okay, so that closes the message. The Bible study will begin at 2 30. I'm kidding what's missing here when this is so clearly pointed out and why is this called a mystery um, and it can only be understood by his revelation it ties into the ones we've already covered this is the 13th message in our series on the 14 mysteries of God again special understanding that is only given by God's revelation and we know Isaiah 66 2 to whom God reveals these things Previously, we've examined the mysteries of God himself, his will, his wisdom, his Christ, his kingdom, the faith, his holy institution of marriage, his, 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 uh, his nature of godliness and the human nature of lawlessness, and of the Gentiles as heirs. And Every time we did this, we learned to better appreciate the distinctive blessings these revelations provide for those who order their lives by them. So when the revelation is made to a contrite heart, to someone who's poor in spirit, who trembles at God's word, they change. They change themselves based upon the word of God and God's spiritual leadership. And that leads them to understand and apply what is being revealed. Now we've we've also learned why these these, uh, remain mysteries. They remain mysteries to those who take them and use them for something else. To try to figure out when Christ is going to return. or try to figure out historical era differences and so on. And who led what and so on. That's not why these things are given. They're given to help those who truly want to change and grow in God's character. And in the process of, of this being revealed to those who do these, we understand them. Today we'll review the mystery of the seven stars and lampstands. <coughs> in our 14th message, but number 13... Uh, actually, number 13 message. We still have two more after this. Let's look at these seven churches here and c- what Christ actually says to them. There are several, again, explanations of what these churches represent. Certainly they refer to a specific geographic locations of congregations at that time in Asia Minor. They We understand over time in applying this and watching the patterns that these seven distinct Uh, spiritual uh, uh, mindsets that were in these congregations is something that developed into eras of the church of God over time, one being dominant more than the other but it's talking at their hearts of seven spiritual conditions, not just of the end time church of God but seven spiritual conditions that exist at any given time in the church of God again, though one may be more prevalent than the other Every individual within the church of God will have to understand, as Christ says, let everyone listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. These are lessons for all of us. And when we evaluate what Christ is saying to our lives and what we're going through, what we're struggling with, uh, even opportunities that we may have in the Spirit of God and the Word of God We can align ourselves with whatever era whatever spiritual mindset he's addressing here and we can shift and move from one to the other based upon the influences around us same as the churches in asia minor same as the eras throughout time our present view is that all of these explanations are valid but christ's address of these spiritual conditions is the central point of these letters and is significant for the entirety of his church, regardless, regardless of what era we may be in. Christ discloses this in his closing admonition to each church. He says, he who has an ear, so in other words, if you have an ear to listen, if you have a heart and mind that's picking up on this, tie back to Isaiah 66 too, are you contrite of heart? Are you humble in receiving these things? Are you trembling at God's word when you hear it? Boy, I've got to change. I've got to be more aware. I've got to watch out what's going on around me. I've got to be much more cognizant. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, though addressed to one, each letter was preserved for all. The churches and and those in them are valuable uh, recipients of these instructions, and they are valuable for any member who truly hears them. We'll also notice as we go through these, and we're just going to summarize them. I'm not going I think about six, seven years ago, we went through these some detail over eight or nine sermons or so. But hearing them together, hearing all the instruction as one, helps us to understand they're meant for all and how better to apply them. We'll see as we go through them, how each of these is progressive. One creates the other. Um, each one of the elect will have to face and overcome the challenge of overcoming them. Don't think that just because, well, I'm in the Philadelphia area, this is all i got to worry about. Uh, Or just because I'm in the the Laodicean area, this is all I have to worry about. They are applicable for all of us. And it's the spiritual mindset and character of that mindset that can move us from one uh, spiritual condition to the other if we're not aware. Christ is warning his bride to assess and overcome our own spiritual condition and embrace what he expects of his bride. Let me read that again. Christ is warning his bride to assess and overcome our personal spiritual conditions and embrace what he expects of her. And this is not about what we do, okay? We are supposed to preach the gospel message. I totally get that. But God can do that in an instant immediately and he will do it through the two witnesses at the end we don't have to worry about that we need to be involved in the process support the process and do our part and so on but is that the main focus of what he wants for us is that what Christ is addressing and frankly when you go through chapters two and three he talks about and commends the work but in between that there's something deeper that's missing a character flaw that needs to be overcome or, or godly character that needs to be developed. Let's look at these individually. Uh, and I, you can find them beginning in chapter two. I'm not going to go through them individually. The church at Ephesus, what was their big lesson? The bottom line of their lesson was always remember what matters most. That's a message for every one of us. Not just those who are maybe the first or second century AD or those who may be in the spiritual mindset right now. Every one of us is being warned by Christ to always remember what matters most. He commends their work here. In fact, he commends the work of every one of them in these letters. Uh, and, And Ephesus was trustworthy. They were diligent. They were very active. They were accomplishing many things, but they were so caught up with what they thought they could do that they had unknowingly abandoned their first love, Jesus Christ. A diligent diligent wife will do this. I'll just refer refer you to Luke 10, verses 38 through 42. Christ is teaching in the house of Martha, Mary, Lazarus. Martha is very busy because she's got a lot of people there and she's running around trying to feed them and clean up after them and so on. And she complains to Christ that Mary's not helping her because Mary's sitting before Christ learning. And what does Christ tell her? Martha, Martha. I see see Ephesus as filled with Marthas. Now, all the Marthas in the room right now, and anyone who listens to this is a Martha is going, well, then who's going to do the work? This stuff has got to get cleaned up. We've got to stop. The Son of God... Is sitting in your living room the king of the kingdom of God is teaching what are you doing how can the dishes be more than that can't we clean them later I mean the right choice is Christ commends Mary is for sitting at the feet of God the son of God Jesus Christ loving him loving every word that comes from his mouth it's easy for us to get involved with this. We're busy. We're the descendants of Joseph. We are accomplishment-oriented. We see something, something that needs, needs to be done. We jump in and do it. But what is the most important thing? Just, just take the Sabbath day. What is the most important thing about this day? The fact that God wants us to gather before him so he can teach us. Now, that that's a message not just for everybody in the... In sitting in the seats listening but for everyone who comes to this lectern we're not here to tell you our opinion or to update you in the news of the world we're here to teach you what God says and if we're not confident enough to say this is what God says we even shouldn't even be here if we're more comfortable saying well I think this which everybody would be right would you be more comfortable saying I think this or God says this It's hard to embrace that second one. But but that also has to be embraced by those who are listening. This is what matters most on this day. And, And then we take this from this day through every day of the week. What matters most? Your job, your house, your car, or even your family? What matters most? Your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Your studying of his word, you applying it in your life, you having it focused and on the forefront of your mind, you love Jesus Christ. And it should be displayed with every word, every deed and action throughout the week. If we're not seeing that, we may be falling prey to what Ephesus was going through. Our zeal to be busy with the work of God can easily cause us to forget what matters most. Our love and loyalty to God through our betrothal to Jesus Christ is the most important thing. We can never ever forget that. We can never allow that to be displaced. Christ is warning us all, his faithful, not to let this happen. Remember what matters most. The second church that's mentioned in Revelation 2 is Smyrna. Smyrna, as we know, is the one that was in the middle of persecution. It's the shortest of the seven letters. But what he's telling us is a very very focused, but not easily to understand statement. He says, expect, but do not fear persecution. Expect, but do not fear persecution. Let's look at John 15 here. On the night before he was killed. John 15, we'll read verses 18 through 20. He said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Are you hated by the world? If you think not, we got a problem. Because in order to love and live as Christ... We will be as hated as Christ was. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. To truly love Christ is to be hated by this world, just as he was. Not hated because we do things that require or or, or uh, cause hatred toward us but just the very nature of living as Christ in this age in this world will will draw that ire in Acts 14 and verse 22 I'll just read this for you Acts 14 Paul said we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God we'll look uh, I think we'll touch on this in the Bible study later you can write it down for now Matthew 7 verses 13 and 14 Um, the way of God in this age is very difficult narrow path small gate very few are there very difficult to navigate and the few who take that path will have a very tough time on it we need to understand and know that from the outset this is not going to be easy and if we expect it to be easy our expectations are wrong Christ is warning us here expect persecution but don't fear it As it turns out, this persecution, this difficulty of the path is necessary for our growth in godly character. Go back to, uh, let's go back to the book of James. James chapter 1, we'll read verses 1 through 4. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. I think we've discussed this recently. I think um, uh, Bob Dick's message on empathy, a great lesson on this. It's, it's difficult to enjoy a trial. But there needs to be a bigger picture in our minds and understanding why we've got to go through this. And developing that ability to empathize with others by going through what they will go through also is what James is referring to here. Knowing, verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. This persecution, this difficult path that we are on is necessary for our training. Christ is reminding his faith through, through Smyrna that our faith must be tested. Expect it to happen, but don't fear it. The third church he addresses is Pergamos. Pergamos. This is a, such a critical uh, beginning of this, of this pattern. So pattern one, we lose our first love we, and we start wandering onto what we do versus what we are becoming. We, persecution hits and we do everything we can to avoid it. Number three, what Christ is telling Pergamos is this. Do not compromise with doctrine do not compromise with teaching. He mentions a couple of other doctrines that had been embraced by the church of Pergamos. The doctrine of Balaam, which is basically based on greed at its, at its core, but it's a health and wealth doctrine. I, I'll do what God says, but only to the point where it adds to my bank account. And every opportunity that I have to grow and prosper and do great in this age I can skirt around, I can compromise certain things about what the Bible says about wealth and what I should value and so on. We see this so much in Christianity today, this message of health and wealth just drawing everybody in to the exclusion of growing in righteous character. That's number one for the body of Christ, for the bride of Christ, growing in godly character, not growing a bank account. Nothing wrong with being wealthy. This is not the issue. The issue is focusing on wealth, focusing on comfort in this age, opportunities in this age, experiences in this age over growing in godly character. That's the issue. The other doctrine that's mentioned here is the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. You could find four or five different interpretations of what that actually was. The name actually means destruction of the people. So it, it could be any number of things that are leading to division, or the disorientation of God's people. But even Ephesus hated the teachings of the Nicolaitans and they were uh, commended for it by Christ. They saw it as unsound and destructive. Would we, if someone came into the church with a heresy, would we just say, "Well, uh, well, maybe if they rub shoulders with us nice people, they'll eventually give up their heresy. That it doesn't work. That's just not biblical. The heresy usually causes division and destruction. It causes all kinds of problems within a church. It has to be dealt with. It has to be understood as unsound and destructive. Do not compromise with doctrine. Acts 17 and verse 11, uh, Paul makes mention of the. Actually, the, Luke writes this, but Paul was dealing with the Bereans who search the scriptures daily to prove what they heard. we hear something within a service, uh, written somewhere, uh, anywhere else that could be causing an issue or a problem within the church, I'm not going to name a specific doctrine, but we'll, we've been trying to address each one of those individually without trying to offend others, but at the same time making sure that God's people are equipped to fend them off. And the way we do that is by digging into the scriptures daily to prove and Deuteronomy 5 and verse 32, I'll give you two scriptures here. I'll just read them. Deuteronomy 5:32, Israel is told, You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You see, Satan, Satan doesn't care which ditch he blows us into, as long as we're off that narrow path. And that can easily allow us, that can happen to us very easily if we allow what uh, Ephesians calls winds of doctrine false winds of doctrine or false doctrine the other scripture is deuteronomy 12 and verse 32 deuteronomy 12 32 says you shall not add to it or take away from it the the direction that we have been given and the manner in which we're supposed to walk is 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 our example in christ we don't add to that well this is nice let's do this too this will make us more acceptable to those around us let's add that to our doctrines and our teachings let's add that this is this is the heart of compromise oh you know what we need to stress less this aspect of the biblical teaching that we have because we don't want to offend others that's the other way that moves add to take away we can't veer to the right or left we can't allow ourselves to add to or take away the number one goal here is that we grow in godly character that requires pristine and pure teaching and doctrine from the scriptures, not from our opinions, not from our perspectives, not from stories we've heard, only from what the word of God says. Do not compromise with doctrine. Christ's warning is faithful not to tolerate heresy, in Pergamos. And we move to the next stage, progressive stage, Thyatira. Thyatira is our example that Christ is helping us to understand that we should, that that compromise, any level of doctrinal compromise, will lead to corruption. What's the difference between compromise and corruption? Compromise is a tolerance of sin. Once sin embeds itself, it decays and destroys. It breaks down. One leads to the other tolerance of sin is corrosive we learn this during the spring holy days every year compromise in the mind in our thinking in what we entertain leads to dichotomy and thinking that if we entertain wrong ideas and don't vet them against the scriptures it destroys our awareness and our reasoning you see this in the world around us today in government and churches and so on when the word of god is so incredibly clear And when their actions and choices lead to such destruction, such confusion, but everybody feels good about it, we simply accept it and move on. We can't do that in the church of God. Compromise will lead to corruption. Righteousness and iniquity can never coincide. Once corruption takes hold, it leads to complete decay of righteousness, often without us even knowing it largely because we surround ourselves with ceremony going to a sabbath service attending a holiday service a feast or just routine reading the bible or routine repetitive prayer every day when we're not engaged in that process this is what happens and we can think that because we're doing these ceremonial things that we're okay and we're not growing within in fact we're deteriorating within corruption is eating away at our spiritual character in Thyatira years of compromise had led them to a condition of spiritual rot false duplicitous opposing beliefs in which sin resided with righteousness or at least they thought it did uh, all under the guise of ceremony just going through the motions I haven't talked this much in a month, so. Let me just coat the throat there. <clears> throat> the contrast of tires between their practices and what they actually believed <coughs> was striking. Outwardly righteous actions, but inwardly corrupt motives. Christ is warning us not to let that happen. <coughs> Renee, can you bring up my tea, please? <coughs> I'm, I promise you, this is not COVID. It's just a very tender throat. Ah, that's better. I'll just make reference to you Matthew 23, verses 13 through 33. Probably the best example in scripture of this are the Pharisees. And in Matthew 23, verses 13 through 33, Jesus Christ addresses them very directly about the compromises that they, had made, that they had made that had completely corrupted them, blinded them to the very Son of God standing before them. Christ does not want that to happen to his church. He's warning his faithful to be mindful of the effects of corruption as he addresses Thyatira. The fifth church that's mentioned is Sardis the church at Sardis, and we see the end result of compromise leading to corruption. Corruption leads to spiritual lethargy, or one could even say death. In fact, the scripture does say that in describing Sardis, that they are spiritually dead. Those in the spiritual condition of Sardis are alive in name only uh, simply going through the motions and thinking well of themselves for doing so, but they are dead spiritually. They can't learn or grow in the spiritual nature of God or in his, from his word. Mistaking purposeless activity with growth and development, um, they have three conditions that describe them. Number one, and you'll see this if you, if you relate this to somebody who's in a comatose state. Number one, they are unaware They're indifferent to what's going on around them. They are oblivious. call this spiritual comatose. This is the reasoning or the lack of reasoning capability of the ten virgins mentioned in Matthew 25. Five of them had lamps. They didn't put any oil in them. That's beyond silly. That's just flat out foolish. But this is where we can become. If we are spiritually unaware of what's going on around us, and I don't mean... I don't mean that we don't see what's on the news or don't read what's in the paper or don't listen to services, that's not what I mean. But we're missing the spiritual component of it all. And we're not viewing things with a spiritual awareness, which is developed only by God's spirit leading us into all truth. This becomes a framework. It becomes a fishbowl that we wear where we interpret everything that's going on around us from a spiritual perspective. The second uh, thing that uh, describe somebody in a spiritually comatose state is that they are unappreciative. Are your prayers filled with gratefulness? I tell you, since, uh, God brought me through this illness, I'm much more grateful with my prayers every morning. I notice things that I used to take advantage. My wife made her world famous cinnamon rolls this morning. And I'm, I'm looking at them like they're the most precious things on the planet. I wouldn't have noticed that if I hadn't gone through what I had gone through. Sometimes it takes us a loss of those things, or maybe just for a time, for us to appreciate them. That shouldn't happen to somebody who's being led by the Spirit of God into all truth. Uh, are Are you thankful for the rain we just got? I mean, well, by us, I think we got more rain in the last two to three days than we've had in the last two to three months. It's been incredibly dry. And you, you don't again, you don't recognize that or appreciate it enough unless it's not hasn't been there for that long a period of time. Those who are spiritually unappreciative or apathetic, again, they're they're perfunctory. They they can't properly assess that the path that they're on if they're not being led by God's Spirit. Uh, they're unappreciative of what God does for them, and they don't see his hand in their lives. Number three. So that was unaware, number one, unappreciative, number two, and number three. They are unaccomplished, unaccomplished. And I don't mean they don't do things, that they're not efficient in helping and serving at services or, or in their jobs or in their homes or they take care of their property. This is not what I'm talking about. This is about spiritual growth, development of character traits like love, joy, peace, patience, are we focused on those things? In most cases, people that are spiritually comatose that aren't even aware of them, they can't even measure them. There's a, there's a spiritual emptiness, an ineffectual, unproductive fruitlessness in their lives spiritually. They lack growth. They're not maturing spiritually. You see any of these things happen to us, you're tiptoeing across this, this state of sardis, this mental uh, deficiency, this spiritual condition. Um, that leads to spiritual death. Christ is warning us through Cyrus. He's warning his faithful to remain watchful, to remain vigilant, to be aware and conscious. Spiritually, you may know everything that's going on in world news events. That's not what this is talking about. Unless you're looking at those events and seeing the spiritual applications that are going on and they're the spiritual influences that are happening from the forces of darkness in this age and addressing them with the spiritual forces of righteousness in the age to come that God is sharing with us now. Don't let ourselves become unaware, unappreciative, or unaccomplished. Don't fall asleep. The next two churches are the ones that we most hear about, Philadelphia and Laodicea. We need to talk about them and and the transition between one and the other a little bit more detail but I'll summarize them again here as I've done with the others when Christ addresses Philadelphia he tells them to continue to rely on God's strength and Christ's leadership are you continuing to rely on God's strength not your own and are you continuing to rely on Christ's leadership what should I do what decision should I make what choice should I make here are you going to his word? Are you doing what it says? Are you following his lead in prayer and in study, but also in application? Are you seeing the choices that you're making in your life based upon what he's teaching us from his word and how he's leading us in his spirit? The Philadelphia is told uh, three things in key. Number one, keep his word. Number two, do not deny his name. And number three, endure. And he tells us at the end of this, this is all about endurance. It's enduring in God's strength and Christ's leadership by keeping his word and not denying his name. This is what we're being warned to continue doing. Philadelphia is the only one of the, uh, Sardis you could say is (coughs) not corrective, but Philadelphia is not corrective at all. It's simply encouraging because these individuals in this state of mind are continuing to rely on God's strength, not their own, uh, collectively or individually. They're continuing to rely on Christ's leadership and they're keeping his word. They're embracing, not denying his name, and they are continuing to endure. And in Hebrews 10 and verse 36, we're told this that we all have need of endurance. And in many cases for a Philadelphian, that is the most difficult thing to continue to endure the, the, the destruction of uh, the place we love, of the, of the age that we live in. Because there's still plenty here to enjoy and love. Family, God, uh, services, being in God's church in the first place, feasts of tabernacles, church socials, interaction and fellowship. There's plenty of things that we love here. Be prepared for those things to begin to deteriorate as we move forward. Be, just be prepared for it. Remember what matters most and continue to endure. <clears throat> Christ's promise uh, that those with this mindset will be kept from the hour of trial in, this, in this, uh, his letter to Philadelphia is very, very significant. It is an indication that those who are Philadelphians live their lives with uh, not just an outward display of faith, but with a loyalty and faithfulness that God sees and knows and no longer needs to prove. Think of um, Genesis 22 uh, when, when Isaac does indeed go through the final attempts to sacrifice Isaac as God told him to do. As, as uh, Abraham sacrificed Isaac, what did God say? After all the things that he had done all of his life that, that, that God thought he knew him, at this point he says, now I know you. I guess this impression when he tells us, you don't need to go through any more trials. You don't need to go through any difficulties. I don't need to prove you any longer. You have proven to me in the way that you've lived your life that you will be faithful and loyal to the family of God. To me specifically as my bride. That's what our lives are supposed to be uh, exemplifying now. Th- this is the, the focus and the goal. I, uh, this quote keeps coming up from Vince Lombardi. I know there's some Packer fans here, but I won't force you to raise your hands. I lived in, I lived in Chicago for 30 years, and you don't do that by praising Vince Lombardi. Um, But anyway, when he took over the Packers in the late 50s, it was one of the most fledgling lost organizations in the NFL. What he told them at the front end has existed within that organization since that time, and they've been one of the most successful since that time. You can't argue that. What he told them right up front was this. We, I've got so many different things to drink up here, I have to sort through them. He says, he told the Packer organization, the Ital- all the players and everyone, we will pursue perfection. We aren't so arrogant to think that we'll ever be able to achieve perfection, but along the way, we will find excellence. That's a, that is a, an unconverted mind who understands the nature of success and could embed it into a physical human organization. is that in us brethren are we pursuing excellence as god defines excellence excellence in character nothing is more important than that nothing we have to pursue perfection though to achieve excellence and that perfection is in the word of god it's in the spirit of god and in god's nature It is the example that Jesus Christ set for us. It's in everything that he taught us. And it's in everything we understand about our calling, election, and our efforts to remain faithful. We uh, do not need to prove anything more. That's how we know we've achieved that level of excellence. To Philadelphia, Christ is encouraging his faithful to endure. Just endure. You're doing this. You're keeping the word of God. You're not denying his name. You're having a little strength and relying on the strength of God. Continue to do that. Continue to follow the leadership of Jesus Christ. Endure. The last lesson he gives to every one of the churches is to Laodicea. And again, all seven of these churches in Asia Minor are examples that he's using to warn us what's going to happen after The Apostle John dies after the scriptures are canonized and after, you know, almost 2,000 years of existing since that time. The Laodiceans are warned by Christ to be aware of the hidden nature of our arrogance, our human arrogance. Pride is embedded in every one of us. We will never overcome pride while we are in the flesh we can only control it but it will always be there and at certain stages in certain environments at certain times in our life it will squeak out as arrogance we've all been there I have a right to be angry this guy just cut me off I have a right to be uh, upset and, and hostile I have a right to take actions of wrath in this situation I was treated unfairly this is the way the world around us thinks because it's ruled by one who thinks this way we aren't and and you cannot find that justification for those feelings or attitudes or actions taken from that in the pages of scripture do not return evil for evil return good for evil love those who hate you this is the path we've chosen. And if we can't see the challenge in that, that requires us to strive for perfection so we can achieve that level of, of, of excellence, we're missing it. We're not seeing it. We're letting our pride squeak out. And this is what Laodicea did. They're so enamored with how wonderful they thought they were, they would not receive Christ's instructions about their wretchedness. Like Ephesus, their focus on what they they did seem to separate them from who they served really you you think we're going to be considered accomplished by the very son of God because we we increase our magazine subscription level to a couple million really or because the the church starts populating with people because of our message is so strong and so on at least we think it is none of that happens that way that's the work we do and we should do it but we shouldn't have expectations that it's us that's doing it too many in scripture and in recent history have said who've led these kinds of efforts This is not my work. These are not my accomplishments. Jesus Christ is ahead of his church. He's accomplishing this. He is calling and opening the minds. God is leading him into the church. You hear the true leaders of God saying that kind of thing. You hear the ones that are not the true servants of God. You don't hear them giving them credit. It's all about what we're doing. It's all about our websites. It's all about our magazines. It's all about our television shows. And I'm not talking about any individual given church of God. I'm talking about the spiritual attitude behind those works. We have to attribute Christ's success to Christ. We are nothing. We are less than nothing. Even the work of the two witnesses is going to be Christ working through them. And they won't attribute any success that they may see or attributed to them they would not accept that honor they would point to jesus christ as all of his servants do blinding pride needs to be scoured from our character and this is the lesson he's giving us we can be so blinded by our pride that when we are wretched miserable poor blind and naked we think we are in need of nothing He's warning us not to let that happen. Remain humble. Understand whose work this is and who's doing it. Understand where the success comes from. Work hard, but don't attribute any of that success to us. In pride, we, we may be looking forward to suffering. I want to say this about the Philadelphia. I'll, I'll try to wrap up here in a moment. We tend to think if you're Philadelphian or you're looking at the way that's described in Laodicea, you go, oh, no, I don't, why would anybody want to be a Laodicean? Pride can make you want to suffer. Yeah, bring it on. Bring it on. I can take it. I can do it. In Luke 21 and verse 36, Christ said this. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. I have heard people in my years over the church in the Church of God say describe this Christ's very words and instructions to His people about the end time. They describe this as cowardice. Cowardice. It's cowardice to pray that we may seem be counted worthy by God to escape it. So Philadelphians then are cowards. That that's the pride talking. That's blindness talking. I once talked to a guy who was a longtime friend of mine in the church until this. He came up to me, standing right in front of my face. This is at the Feast of Tabernacles. He said, did you ever want to just address Satan face to face? I said, no, no, not at all. He says, I do. I said, Duh. well, what would you say? I'd say, you failed. I beat you. And I have had nothing to do with a guy ever since. What do you think that comes from? Humility? A contrite heart? One who trembles at the word of God? Is someone being led by the Holy Spirit to want to do something like that? I'm telling you right now. Well, I'm sorry. It's like me giving you my opinion. I've, I've watched individuals in this mindset of Laodicea. They want trials. They want martyrdom. They want to prove themselves, and that's what God gives them. That's what Christ gives them at the end. Prove yourself in this uh, gold tried in the fire, a reference to the tribulation. They They would not see Luke 21, 13 as wisdom. They would see it as cowardice, and they would want to go out there and do what they think they're so capable of doing, never once learning how incredibly less than nothing we are. Christ is warning us through Laodicea. He's warning us faithful to beware of the hidden treachery of our own pride. We may make our own decisions based upon our own perspective instead of what the word of God says, without, without even consulting it. I'm going to do this. Well, why? They don't even ask why. Because I want to. This is a heart of, of human arrogance against God. Yeah, I know God says this, but I want to do this. That's all stemmed from pride. And the, the author of pride, the, the originator of pride rules this planet and has access to our thinking. Don't think for one moment that we could stand face to face with Satan and win. We have the spirit of God. We can grow in his godly character. We can stay behind his hedges. If he wants us to face something like that, he will equip us with the ability, the opportunity, and the authority to do that. Short from that, focus on Luke 21 and verse 36. Please, in humility and contriteness of heart, tremble at the word of God. All of these warnings, all of these things that Christ reveals to his churches, are revealed and understood by those who have been given the ability to understand them. Why? Because they hear the word of God and they do it. So they understand the treasure in these messages to to revel uh, to the churches in Revelations two and three. The treasure in the mystery is not trying to figure out when Christ is going to return or where the separations of the eras were or any of that stuff. It's all about what it makes us. How it makes us change. These are warnings from Christ to his bride. Be careful. From this point forward, these things are going to unfold. And they're going to influence us. Here's the other thing. It's important that we remember these spiritual conditions. uh, And and that they will continue to influence the church of God. Every church of God. Compromise? Yeah. Yeah corruption yes spiritual death yes blind arrogance so great we can't even see who we are yes the church of God will go through these things this is what Christ is telling us don't think that well this church is so blind and arrogant I got to find some other place there is no other place this is how Christ describes his church If we look and see these things in us individually and collectively, does that make us not his church? Especially when he he goes through such great length and effort to make us aware of these things so we can overcome this, every one of these, this is the place we need to be. Where these things are being pointed out, where we're being made aware of them, we're given the tools and the ability to understand them and apply them. That's the embedded nature of the mystery of these, and that's what most everybody that studies these chapters does not understand. We are to pursue perfection in the nature of Christ, but should never be surprised when we fall short of it. Often, well short. Follow the pattern repentance, faith, immersed in Christ. Ask for the gift of God's Holy Spirit. Move forward into the resurrection and eternal judgment. Look forward to it because we're preparing for it. That's the pattern. Remember John 1, confess your sin, God will forgive it. It's his promise. That is what those who are being led by God's spirit into all truth are promised by God. And in Philippians 1 and verse 6, he began what he began in us, he will complete it. That's his promise to us. Take these words of Christ in these two chapters. Focus them down in those critical statements and make them part of of our awareness in this age. The key, the consistent key to understanding any revealed mystery of God is the humble heart that changes itself to live by what God reveals. This is what opens the mind. This is what creates spiritual growth. Our knowledge of the word of God is important. But it must move us from a place of simply knowing something to a state of being something. What we know must affect who we are. The mysteries of the seven stars and lampstands in Revelation 1, it's not that they refer to Christ's messengers and his churches. That's obvious, it's specifically stated in Revelation 1 verse 20, we read that. This is widely understood. What is widely overlooked, misunderstood and continues to be a mystery for most are the obvious character issues that Christ reveals to his church. Only those who are on a path of developing God's holy, righteous character within their free moral agency will embrace the value of understanding the mystery of the stars and the lampstands and will hear those words of Christ and apply them and live by them. Others will waste their time trying to assemble all the puzzle pieces uh, to access the times and predict the future. With no understanding of the big picture, the plan of God for all humanity, only those who understand that and are living by that will understand this mystery. Um, For all others, the stars and the lampstands will remain a mystery.